for your good, for your glory, and our good. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to see everyone here this morning and continuing our series in the OT. And I just wanted to follow up on what Allie said about calling people out next week. Al, great to see you here. I just want you to know, I could, Allie calls people out that are here. I just call you out if you're not here. So just so, so you're not here, so you don't know if I'm doing that or not. So, no. First Samuel 17. If you turn there, 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 11. 1 Samuel 17, 4 through 11. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. You could read, I mean, it's over nine feet tall, some would say more six, six to seven feet. Who depends on what? But they're big. It's a big man. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and, his, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to, shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do, you, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you're not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and, I, and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, he will become our, your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words... Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The word dismayed there really undersells that. Dismayed there is literally means in Hebrew shattered. Okay, they weren't just dismayed. Oh, I'm kind of disappointed. Uh, no, they were shattered. They were cracked and they were terrified. Facing giants. To become a giant. John Steinbeck, uh, winner of the Nobel Prize, wrote a book called Travels with Charlie in Search of America. Steinbeck observed how insulated our society had become and how mediocrity overtakes little by little, day by day. But before leaving on his journey, a well-known political reporter said, if anywhere in your travels you come on a man with guts, Mark the place. I want to go see him. I haven't seen anything but cowardness and expediency. This used to be a nation of giants. Could that even be said in the church? God is looking for men and women to become spiritual giants. The problem for most of us is we seemingly have giants in front of us that keeps us from moving, that keeps us from becoming the giants God has called us to be. Some are real. Sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's circumstances. 
Sometimes it's in your mind. It's mind games that are being played. There's this, you want to go, but for whatever reason, you just can't get there. It's there. The giant is there. Some giants are brought on by others. Some are self-imposed. For some of you, it's the giant of unbelief. And I'm not even talking about pre-Christian. I'm talking about believers who have the giant of unbelief. Can you remember a time as a Christian? Can you remember a time? Remember the last time you've moved forward with absolute confidence in God in the midst of total uncertainty and was willing to move with God even without guarantee of personal success. You had it all measured. But to move fully trusting God but fully knowing that you're uncertain about the outcome and especially your personal success you're fully not sure of that but you are fully God said move for me personally we're sitting in one of them King David as we are going to give we're going to step back a little bit in 1 Samuel 16 just a minute not yet You know, King David, the word says he was a man after God's own heart. Acts 13, Apostle Paul writes that he was a man after God's heart. But but you look at David's life, and it's pretty, he's got some ironic twist in it, if that's the case, right? No doubt he is, and we're going to talk about today, he became this giant for God. The man alive, he had some things happen, and we're not going to get into that today, but from adultery to murder that would make you think something else. No question about that. But even at his lowest point, David's character finally showed. He didn't ask God just to forgive him. I think it's Psalm 51. He didn't ask God just to forgive him. He, told, he asked God to give him a new heart. He knew just forgiveness alone was a slippery slope. He knew he had to be changed. He knew he had to be transformed. So even at his lowest, David still heard God and he responded to that. Now the consequences, obviously, if you've read it, you know, are still, was still rippling through his life and his children. But David's known, for, if you're here today and you've, you, you don't know much about this story, I apologize because I am going to condense it today uh, in, 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 in just in 1 Samuel. But if you, most of you have heard of King David or you've heard of David and Goliath, whether you've been in church at all or not, you've heard that phrase or heard that term. And, and it's used because it's used in all kinds of settings, sports, different things. But David's obviously known for facing Goliath But he's also known for, as we'll look today, as facing some giants in his own life that he had to overcome. 
And I believe for us, how does it help us today in 2019? I believe we face those giants too. God wants us to be everything we're called to be. But we have to face those giants. As I told the core group earlier, I may say some things that today is going to bother you. <laughs> I may say some things today that's going to bother me. <laughs> I hope it does. I hope it stirs me. I hope it doesn't leave me where I came in. Right. I hope it moves me Amen. as your pastor, not just as the speaker. First Samuel 16, 6 through 12. We are going to back up just a little bit, but I wanted you to have that passage of scripture of Goliath we're going to step back just briefly 1 Samuel 16 6-12 when they arrived Samuel saw Eliab and thought surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord and what's happening is Samuel has become to choose and anoint one of Jesse's sons so he's bringing him along but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesus called Abinad, and he passed in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down till he arrives. That'll make you get hurry up, won't it? We're not sitting down till he gets back here. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health in a fine appearance and handsome features. I thought that was interesting to have that there, right? Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went, then went to Ramah. Have you ever felt like you were on the backside of nowhere? Well, David faced the giant of what? Obscurity. He faced the giant of obscurity. He was out in the field. Who would ever think of him not pushing himself up to the front, not getting himself a social media platform? No, he's not doing that. He is out there doing what he was called to do. Have you ever felt that way? Now, sometimes it's self-imposed. Moses was on the backside of nowhere, wasn't he? God knew where he was. Jesus of Nazareth, nothing good comes out of where? Nazareth, nothing good can come out of there. <clears throat> Rahab the prostitute, you mean God can use... To have her in the lineage of Jesus, you, you, a, a prostitute, disciples, these unschooled, ordinary men to change the world, to flip history upside down. David continued to do what he knew to do. 
even after he was anointed, do you know what he did? He went back where? Herding sheep. He also saw his armor bearer, played the heart. But he stayed in obscurity until God's timing. Don't push back obscurity. It allows you to practice. David killed a lion and a bear to become this warrior that God was going to need him to be. Think about this. When you think God has forgotten you, God very well is using that to prepare you for what he's about to do with you. Because it's not about where you are right now. It's where he wants to take you. And what are you going to do with it right now? What are you going to do with it right now? Have you ever looked at all the things you have gone through in your life as God building your resume for what he's about to do? Because I know for some of you in here today, you may say, well, Kurt, Pastor Kurt, life's hard, man. You know, life's hard. I've been given some... (laughs) No doubt life comes at us hard. Easy is not an option. But I have this feeling, if you're a bum, life is hard. If you're a mom, life is hard. If you're a successful businessman, life is hard. Life is hard. We all can make excuses of why. We could also even try to push ourselves to the front of the line. But God may be doing his work. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up. In due time, cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled, literally, one of the translations, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for like a roaring lion, looking for those to devour. Resist him standing firm where? In the faith. And you even in your obscurity, stand firm. And he just tags on Peter to tags on there. Oh, by the way, your brothers and sisters around the world are coming on the same kind of persecution. Just so you know, there's other people. You're not by yourself in this. You're not by yourself in this. He knows where you are. He, he knows where you are. He knows what's happened. The biggest challenge is in that, in that obscurity is discipline. I, heard, I read this yesterday. I love this thing. of Discipline It's choosing what you want most, not what you want now. Discipline is choosing what you want most. It's not what you want now. And that's where most of us get off the beaten path. Because I think David, as a shepherd boy, was not asking, what's God's will for my life? He was asking God, God, what is your will and how can I fulfill it? What's your will, and how can I live that out? Can you imagine that God could use an obscure denomination in an obscure church at 5604 North 24th Street to start a movement? 
And you go, well, no way. Facing the giant of outward appearance versus inward transformation. I agree. The world looks at the outside first. We talked about it that again in our core team meeting, we're talking about facilities. People look at that outside first before they know your heart. But I, I got to say this this morning, Jan and I had this conversation about a shirt. And those who don't know, I have a warm-up shirt I wear to church, and I have a game shirt that I wear on church, okay? I just do, right, Sam? You, Sam knows that. She's always picking at me about it. So I decided this morning that I think the two-button-up pullover was going to be a better game shirt and not a warm-up shirt. And so I asked Jan, and I said, Jan, what do you think about this shirt I wear at preaching? She goes, eh, it's not very cool. And I said, you mean cool? Like She said, like hip, it's not cool. And I said, well, I think it is. This is her question. Would Craig Rochelle wear it? (laughs) I mean, he is the icon of cool, right? (laughs) And so I'm wearing a button-up. So just so you know, my point is, I know I'm making light of it, but sometimes the outward appearance does matter to some degree. But at the end of the day, it's what's happening inside that makes the difference. God sees something, and he knows how faithful you are. He knows where you've been. Sometimes we even make it inside the church. Oh, they've got this gift, or they have this outward appearance. But at the end of the day, it's what God is doing on the inside. It's how he's transforming in the fragrance aroma. We can have all the gifts and graces, and God can be working through someone, but not in someone. We see it throughout Scripture. We see it in our culture. We know God can work through people that, he's not, that they're not allowing him to work in them. <clears throat> and some might say, oh, well, you know you're, you've got the Spirit working in you because there are certain gifts and graces. But unless the fragrance and aroma, the Word says you shall know them by their volunteering you shall know them by their gift mix no it says you shall know them by their fruits god sees what you're doing god knows what you're facing god understands god sees but be faithful and letting him do in you only what he can do and no doubt he'll give you the rest of it but trust him Facing the giant of we have always. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 51. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You're only a young man and he has been a, he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hands of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth rocks from the stream, put them on the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He took David over. He, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. They emphasize in that, right? And he, and, he was just, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come out with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. We're going to stop right there. First... If that's the only picture we had of this scene, and then we had no more story, who do we think is about to be in trouble? <laughs> Who's the giant now? What's well, Goliath, I would say, at this point? And what David had to overcome in order to do what he was called to do was, one of them is, is make sure that Saul didn't say, the only way you can go out and fight is put all this armor on. Because that's what we've done. That's all I know. That's all I got to give you. The old way can be restrictive. I believe in traditions and I believe in practices. But they can never supersede God's word, God's character. And speak to you as if they're God versus what God is saying to you. <laughs> I was reading just you know, this week. I've heard this statement over the years. We only preach the Bible around here. And said most of the time with a serious level of pride. And usually the King James Version. <laughs> we only preach the Bible here. How many of you in here use the NIV Version? I mean, I just, just raise a hand. How many of you use the New International Version? Probably well over half of you. <laughs> okay, everybody's got different ones. But you realize, and I didn't know this this week, that the person that started that whole thing was a layman engineer who was trying to lead his friend to the Lord, and he kept stumbling over the King James Version and the verbiage. So ultimately, he ended up with 80 different denominations coming together to write the NIV Version in today's language. And they didn't just go to the King James Version and start to clean it up. They started from scratch and interpreting it from the Greek and the Hebrew and Aramaic. Now, I'm not saying you go use that one. What I'm saying is, if we just stay with the King James Version, just as Josiah shared a few weeks ago about the book of James, why it's called the book of James, King James, 
You figure it out. I love what Kerry Newhoff says. When your fondness of what you used to do is greater than your passion for what you're going to do, you're in trouble. Your fondness for what you used to do is greater than your passion of what you are going to do, you're in trouble. Bottom line, when all of your excitement is about the past, you haven't got much of a future. We celebrate, we lean into those that line up with God's character and His Word and and His will. I believe we're in a season of a church where we've got to realize we've got to change. People are leaving the church in droves and they're not coming back. I don't know if you know that. It's not when they have kids and they're coming back. We're in a season of the church where we don't step in to the hurts and to the questions that are going on in our culture, we're in trouble. And I know a lot of people don't like change. But I'd say this. I don't know if you can read this and not believe in change. The whole life of Christianity is change. You know, one reason I'm in the Westian theology is because the whole concept around the entire sanctification is about change. Is that God continued to change. He can take some of them body that was wretched and lost and transform them. Not just save them, not just get them to heaven, but transform them. They used to be that. Now they're this. My suggestion to you, if you don't like change, don't become a Christian. And a matter of fact, that's the reason why some people don't. They're afraid of what God may do with their lives. And quit worrying about sending you to Africa as a missionary. Okay, I think there's already enough there. That used to be the thing 25 years ago. Everybody would say, oh, I'm afraid God's going to send me off. We've got to be a part of the solution to the world around us. And part of what we're trying to do through core engagement and, and the meeting we had, but also what God is calling us to do over this next year is about stepping more and more into being a part of the solution. Not just taking up air and real estate, but being a part of the solution. The last one is where many of you would, it's facing the giant of current circumstances. David almost stacked the, tried to stack the odds almost enough against him so it could go, almost like, okay, now I've stacked them enough against me, now I can go fight. Now I can go. Many of you know my, my favorite movie besides Ghost of Mr. Chicken is Braveheart. And William Wallace, how many of you know Ghost of Mr. Chicken, ever seen that movie? That's an awesome movie, by the way. Uh, Don Knotts. Uh, but anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, the brave heart. All men die. Few men really live. But I love his other part and that when he does this, you know, this tremendous speech and he starts riding off and they said, William, where are you going? I'm going to go pick a fight. I had a friend of mine 
David Barrett, when I was growing up, he was about five years older than me when I became a, after I graduated high school, I hung out with him way too much. As many of you know, I was a heavy drinker and uh, was in bars a lot. And David took me with him. And we would go over to McCurtain County, Oklahoma. McCurtain County, Oklahoma was, I mean, I used to say this, if you can put your hand up on the bar to put the money down, they'll serve you. And that's what they would do. It didn't matter how old you were. It really didn't matter. But that's what they did. So we'd go into these bars. David would go in. These kind of bars in McCurtain County was the kind of bar they'd ask you when you went in if you had a gun. If you said no, they'd issue you one. That's the kind of bar it was. Okay. David loved picking fights. David would intentionally find the biggest guy in the place, get him to play pool, bet, and intentionally lose so the guy would try to take the money from him. So we could go outside and fight. Not we, him. David was always looking to go pick a fight. And what's crazy about that is that David ended up becoming a pastor also before it's all over with. <laughs> but I think of David, and I think of we. David stacked the odds almost enough where he said, okay, get rid of the armor, get rid of the spear, get rid of I want to make the odds so obvious that only God, that only God, if this doesn't come through, it was on me, but if it does come through, it was only God. Now, I'm not saying go today in your certain current circumstances and try to stack the odds as best you can against yourself. That is not what I'm saying. But for some reason, for whatever reason, you may be feeling that today, not because you chose to be, just because that's where you are. Well, I want to read the rest of this passage of Scripture and tell you what David did when he looked there. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Now remember, the camp that David is in, all these guys had the same opportunity to do what David's about to do. But remember, they are dismayed or shattered or cracked, terrified. They are in camp and have all kinds of reasons why they're not going to do this. As a matter of fact, they're trying to tell David, go back to sheep, you know, herding sheep. You don't belong here either. You just want to show off. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think it was one of his brothers. This very day I give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and threw it on the sheath, drew it from the sheath, and he killed him and he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. 
You know, I looked it up. Ran is three different times in this passage of Scripture I just read to you. You know what the Hebrew translation of ran? Ran. (laughs) Quickly. Real fast is really what it means. Like, I'm running fast. I'm going now. Now think about it. Now he ran. Oh, you see ran. What, they, he kills the Philistine. What did they do? They ran. I love what Irving McManus says. Sometimes our biggest fears or our biggest giants are the ones that call us out. That speak directly to us that God's wanting to do something in our life. I love what McManus says, we need to realize that God may actually allow for for an increase in uncertainty and leverage all the odds against us just so that you will know in the end that it wasn't your gifts but his power through your gifts that fulfilled his purpose in your life. What I would say here is, if that giant is real, you need to quit trying to ignore it. You need to call it out. You need to identify it. You need to quit trying to pray around it. Some of you are praying so much, you need to stop praying and ask about going around it and ask God how you can go through it. You've been praying way too long about how to go around it, how to get out of it, how to take... No, you go through it. God, how are you going to take me through it? I remember talking to Daryl Scott in Columbine in 1999, Rachel Scott who was one of the girls that was killed there and Rachel's tears. Some of you may remember that story and, or may remember her story. But Daryl Scott was at Crossroads many years ago and I had a chance to talk to him. But he said there was an older gentleman. He said he was so grieving and so upset and so just could not figure out how she could be murdered like that. And, and he said there was an old man gave him his unbelievable advice. He said, Daryl, you need to be, start being a see-through and not a look-atter. Sometimes we can stare at our giant so long it paralyzes us. It stops us. Instead of asking God to help us go through it. I know I've got to go through it, but just, you're going to have to go through it. You're going to have to go through it. So ask God now to begin to help you and gird you and pull in either people around you and give you the strength and everything that you need to go through it, not go around it, because you're not going around it. You're just not going around it. It's not going away like that. You've got to go through it. But as it does, you'll be able to say, especially on the other side, it is well with my soul. You're praying for things God's not bringing. As a youth pastor, I used to, I I would do this, I'd make t-shirts. And I know today, I don't tell anybody this, and I'm sure it's not, this is not, nobody ever listens to online, so I don't have to worry about it saying this right here. But, but just for instance, I used to make in 1995 No Fear t-shirts. No Fear, anybody remember the, the Nike No Fear? Well, I, I, yeah, I abused that probably way more than I should have. Didn't realize it that I was probably, but anyway. So I started making t-shirts called No Fear t-shirts. We were into t-shirts back in the 90s. Anybody remember that? And I love this t-shirt. I think we have it up on the screen. Armed for battle. I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. No fear. Run to the battle. Run to the battle. Run. 
Run at it. Don't be stupid at it. Run at it. Go towards it. Now, there were some parents that really didn't like this whole concept that the youth pastor thought this was cool. Okay. <laughs> Run a mission to the yard from the gates of hell? Is that really what you... There was a song out at the time. Some of you have been trying to pray around it, go around it, and God is saying, run at it. With what I'm about to give you, you run at it. Become a warrior. Become that person that can take these kind of things head on. See, David was surrounded by people with excuses. If he would stayed in the camp, because you may have advisors around you right now. Let me just even say this. You may have a dream even, and you've got people around you going, oh, there ain't no way. I'm going to push you down. I'm going to make, because I don't have a dream. I'm going to make sure you don't have a dream. You may have people around you giving all kinds of reasons why you can't. You'll never be more than this. Because they're afraid. In the camp, there's a lot of excuses. And we could list them here. But there's a lot of reasons why you can't. But David knew this. You can't move forward with people in retreat. Let me say it again. You can't move forward with God with people who are in retreat from God. Who are you surrounding yourself with? You need to take a real, real hard look and ask, who is speaking into my life? Am I in the camp with all the excuses? Actually, I'm comfortable there. I'd rather just be there because, man, it makes me, I don't have to do it. I don't have to trust God. I don't even have to trust him because they give me a reason not to have to. Where was God? Oh, sure, he was in the camp in that sense. But where was God working? On the battlefield. David knew God wasn't working in the camp with all the whining and griping excuses. God was on the battlefield. And if he's going to work with God, he's got to go to the battlefield. I think the reason David, part of the reason David committed adultery and murder was because he was designed to be a warrior and he was sitting in his castle. Men, let me say something to you. Men, I want to tell you right now. Women, I just want to thank you for holding up the church when the men have retreated. You're warriors too. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm going to tell you, men, I believe with all my heart, you sit around and not go to battle for your family, go to battle for your children, go to battle for your community. If you sit around there, some crazy things might happen. Because you're supposed to be in the fight. For some of you, it is time. As, as McManus would say, it is time to get out of the village and, and that's been protecting you this whole time and you're letting everybody else do the fight to take up your spear, take up your sword, take up your shield, and get in the battle. It's time. Do you think we'll reach this community sitting? Do you really think that? Really? 
Terrible things happen when we sit and you're designed for something else. Terrible things. I know I'm going to listen to this this week and regret getting that loud. I know that already. I know it. I know it. I know it. As I listen to it each week, I'll sit there and go, oh, that is way too. I'm just saying, guys. Come on. Come on. Well, I'm just too tired. I'm just too. Lose some weight. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now. This is what I'm going to say to you. I said earlier. I'm going to say some things that's going to bother you. I'm really going to say some things that's going to bother Jan. <laughs> there are certain things you've got to do to get more energy, and some of it's on you. It's not being filled with the Spirit. You make it have the Spirit and still be tired. And some of it may be chemical. And do some of it, but some of it's just you've got to get going. I, this whole idea of time to retirement, yes, retire, retreat a little bit, but it can't be retreat. That's not what it's called. It's to open up a whole new chapter in your life where you don't have all the other encumbrances that you had up to this point. You got more time, more effort, maybe even more money to do things that you never could have done before. But we have made retirement as retreat. God help us. Show me in Scripture retirement. I'm praying, like I told you, I'm praying a spirit of Caleb over you. Spirit of Caleb is this. Caleb said at 40 years old, he was one of the two, him and Joshua saying, hey, we can go in, we can take it right now. By the way, I'll get to this in just a second. I'll post a note right there. 45 years later, Caleb says, give me my mountain. Give me the land where the giants are. I don't want any land. I want the land that kept us out in the first place. I want those people. At 85 years old, he said, I am stronger. I'm as enthusiastic. I know I'm interpreting it. I don't know if it's the way. I am stronger than I was the day you put me with those knuckleheads. Today, today, give me my mountain. And he went and got it. Give me my land. You promised me, God. Do you not think Caleb and Joshua thought they were in obscurity for 40 years? Because of somebody else? You were faithful. Anybody in here like that? You were faithful. What I love about this story, and Josiah, you guys come on down. What I love about this story is, you know, you know when Goliath was yelling across the line, that sword would just, he was pointing, he was yelling, he was cursing our God, he was... That very sword took his head off. The very thing the enemy is flashing in front of you may be the very thing that you're going to use to take the enemy out. 
some of you need to be reclaiming land. The enemy said, oh, you did that. I get it. But let's compare that with King David. David did that. I don't know if anybody in here has ever, you know, most of us in here will probably never commit adultery or murder anyone. Most of us. But we won't honor our spouse the way we should and be the warrior we're supposed to be. Most of us have never abused our children. We just won't live out in front of them the example of what they should have in their house. That's the problem. Most of you are never going to leave the church of your faith. You just become apathetic. Good enough. It's just good enough. What I love about this song, Raising Hallelujah, however, I think it's the way. This morning, I hadn't listened to that song, and I don't have it on my Spotify right now. And so, first thing I normally do is. Uh, go to YouTube and just type it in just so I can listen to it first and see if I want to put it on my Spotify. It's kind of... And the guy who's singing it, the first thing out of his mouth is talking about facing giants. The giant of unbelief. I thought, okay, Lord, you're affirming what I'm preaching on today. (laughs) Okay, I've never listened to this. I opened it up this morning and boom, there it is. I want us to sing that song together. But with this in mind, I, lo- I love Psalm 23. I think it, it is where, where, where David says, you, you make me a table in the presence of where? My best friends. In the presence of my enemies. It's okay. Because you know who wins? You know who you are and who's, you know that you can walk this out. But you've got to become a see-through and not just a look at her. Some of you are paralyzed with that giant. Call it out. Name it. Oh, there'll be another one. I love what McNamara also says, the reward for winning a great battle is a greater battle. But he said, why it's a greater battle? Because you dealt with that one yesterday. It's done now. Now there's something greater ahead. Won't you stand with me? As I shared with you last week, I believe that singing, for one thing, is part of breaking the curse. I just do. We're taking back land that was stolen. And by worshiping is part of that. But I want you to, as we sing, listen to the words, and just today, if you want to come to the altars, just pray. You don't have to. You can stand where you are. But let God begin to show you the giants and begin to infuse into you. I pray a courage. As we've said over and over, courage is not the absence of fear. The courage is the absence of self. Some of you dads, big brothers, need to be willing to live that out. Lord, help us right now as we worship and sing. But contemplate a man after your own heart, flawed as he was. In the end, he came to you and said, give me a new heart. When a steadfast spirit 
within me. Renew, renew in me. We pray this today over your people. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.